Hello, hello, and welcome to the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton, and joining me on this maiden voyage is my good friend Jackson Robert. Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm so happy to be here. I'm making my FO debut. Couldn't think of anyone I'd rather be co-hosting it with. Uh, this is going to be fun. Uh, new spin on football content. Kale and I, for those who don't know us, have been doing football content together for about 35 episodes of a podcast which I host, and he is sort of the analyst. Now, Kale is the host, and I'm excited to see how he does. So, Kale, I'm going to give you the floor back right away. Let's go. A bit of a role reversal here. Well, for those news to the show, this is the FO News Show. Uh, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we'll be uh, checking in on the last week's worth of NFL news, breaking stories, trending stuff, getting you ready for the week ahead in the league. And it feels it feels so good to be back. It is, you know, to finally have, you know, we're almost 24 hours away from football. It's good to be back. Yeah, and we pushed to get this one out here this Wednesday, not next Wednesday, because this is, you know, maiden voyage for the show, but also maiden voyage for the league. You know, nothing's going to ever be so perfect as it is right now. Nobody's blemished. Football, let's go. It's all wishful thinking. No, no possible <laughs> downsides here. Well, before we get into it, got a shout out. Our sponsor of the show, Underdog Fantasy. Jackson, are you tired of losing or are you tired of your season-long fantasy football leagues? I am tired. Tired of, I'm tired of losing at fantasy. Yes, Kale, it happens to me every year. But I'm also tired of my horrible season-long commitments. Yes. I don't know if we can fix your losing efforts. <laughs> but if you're tired of those season-long fantasy football leagues, you could try out Underdog Fantasy, the fastest-growing company in fantasy sports. Let's use promo code OUTSIDERS to double your deposit up to $100 and play in best ball tournaments with $10 million in total prizes, including $2 million for first place. For a fantasy team, you don't have to manage all season long. You set it, you forget it, you draft your teams, best players every week slot in, real easy. You can also check out their Pick'em product for prop betting markets, even in states where traditional sports books aren't available. So that's promo code OUTSIDERS for a free deposit match for $100 at underdogfantasy.com or on your favorite app store. Now, Amazing. Sounds like a good deal. Now let's get right into it. We've got a couple stories that broke today, but the biggest story over the last seven days thus far broke yesterday, actually, with the Pittsburgh Steelers giving a firm conclusion, at least for now, to their camp battle at quarterback. Mike Tomlin via the depth chart has announced that Mitchell Trubisky has won the starting quarterback's job for week one. Gordon Tomlin, we're just really comfortable with what Mitch has shown us. He's a guy that came with a franchise quarterback experience. He's comfortable in those shoes. He's been a focal point of a football team in an organization before. He's had success in doing so. He took the Bears to the playoffs in two out of four years. He has a winning record as a quarterback. Those things were really attractive to us. Jackson, where do you stand on that? You think the Steelers made the right call thus far? You know, I'm I'm not 100% going to commit to whether or not they made the right call because, you know, this is, this is unblemished season. He's right. Mitch Trubisky is a playoff quarterback. However, Mitch Trubisky – I don't know. I, when I look at Mitch Trubisky's stats from the years he started and I look at Ben Roethlisberger's stats from last year, there are some eerie similarities. So last year we look at Ben Roethlisberger. 
25th in pass DVOA, 24th in DYAR, 27th in total QBR. Mitchell Trubisky in 2020 was 24th, 24th, and 21st in those metrics. So I guess if you want to look at it, you can say that's the most marginal of all improvements. But I don't know, like, to me, this feels as if you're just kind of setting someone up in a similar situation to what you had last year. And I don't know, like, there's there's a lot of things that can go very wrong for this Pittsburgh team. And I, I feel like, I feel like Pickett, is sort of like representing the the new, the unknown. Whereas what we're getting here with Mitch Trubisky, we know that he's pretty mediocre. And I don't know if that's the way that you want to start off. I don't know. It's it's really a question of whether you like going into the season with some experience and some potential mediocrity, or if you want to roll the dice. This is this is kind of the the unsexy keep it keep it basic move. I listen, mediocrity is a stretch, Jackson. Now, I think. I think you're missing just the tape on Ben was bad last year. Uh, Roethlisberger had by far the shortest time to throw of any Steeler. Part of that is by design. Uh, he's, you know, arms started to, you know, really noodle toward the end of his career. Didn't have the same kind of deep ball. Uh, and also part of that is based on the Steelers offensive line. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a pretty weak unit at this point still. And we've seen the kind of damage, at least based off, you know, anecdotal evidence based on last year's teams, whether it's, uh, you know, Zach Wilson running for his life, if it's, you know, Justin Fields playing behind a bad offensive line, if it's Trevor Lawrence doing the same. It can really stunt the development of a young quarterback. And even with, you know, Pickett winning the number two job, Tomlin said he's really pleased at the growth and development of Kenny. Uh in his words, I thought his acceleration of development really took off once we stepped into stadiums. His decision-making, the fluidity of it, his competitive spirit, his pinpoint accuracy, all those things really came to the forefront once we started stepping in stadiums. So in-game, like, what they're seeing is good from Pickett. I just – you can't rush this stuff to me. I don't know. I, so I'm not. That's, that's where well, that's the take that I would be encouraged by is if they really love Pickett and they're just feeling like they don't want to rush him. And I, I think that's ultimately where I land and why I'm not freaking out over this. But at the same time, like I don't buy much of the you know Trubisky can take us to the promised land thinking. I, I really do think this is just a chance to give you know Pickett some time to settle in and get some some reps win practice, whatever, not. Um, but, you know, if you, you talked about Big Ben's deep ball. I did want to bring up a stat. Big Ben, worst deep ball in the league since the start, or second worst in the league since the start of 2018, which I put that in because that's basically when uh, the start of the Trubisky era in Chicago. Mitchell Trubisky is the third worst. So the only guy that's worse than both of them is Sam Darnold. And then beyond that, it's Big Ben, Mitch Trubisky bad deep ball throwers here. Hey, I, the more I looked at it, the more I was really thinking last year's big Ben is pretty close to what Mitch Trubisky has been his whole career. That's why I'm a little bit worried about it. Now, if they're inserting Pickett into this offense, what do you, do you think it's a leash thing for Trubisky or do you think there's a proper insert time this season for Pickett to take over? Whew. I I think it's, I, ha I haven't like gone through their schedule and looked at what the best mess matchup would be to bring Trubisky in, but I'm going to say if you get more than halfway through the season and he's not in there, 
then I'm not sure at what point it's good to bring him in at that point. It, it feels like if you, if you're going to give him three quarters of the year, just give him the full year. Um, that's, that's kind of where I stand because I don't want to see, you know, a team that's, you know, potentially fighting for a playoff spot, get, you know, quarterback controversy, sort of the 2020 Dolphins to a Fitzpatrick thing, you know, either, either give him the full year or get him in there early enough to where he's got enough games to, you know, kind of get his feet under him. Yeah, that's the thing. If you look at their schedule, you know, usually with a young quarterback, you find some clean break to, you know, get the guy in. I don't see one in this schedule. Uh, honestly, it's more on the early side, if anything. Uh, I think the best solution for them maybe is uh, they go week five at Buffalo, week six hosting Tampa Bay. And then they have two games at Miami and at Philadelphia before they head into their week nine bye. Off their bye is they host the Saints, host the Bengals, then go to Indy, and then go to Atlanta. It's it's a tough – like, you're either throwing him in on a short week – not really a short week, but, you know, with a week's worth of preparation time going into Miami off of a tough Tampa Bay game. Uh, or – you're giving him that extra week off the bye and setting him up for a decently tough schedule. It's next up on the docket. 12-year NFL veteran wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders has officially announced his retirement via Instagram. Appeared in three Super Bowls, winner of Super Bowl 50, uh, two-time pro bowler, uh, you know, very memorable stints with the uh, Steelers, Broncos, New Orleans Saints and the Buffalo Bills most recently. Jackson, what are your what are your thoughts on Sanders? I, I mean, I still distinctly remember him in the early, you know, especially that rookie season breaking out with, you know, playing alongside you know, Heinz Ward and like a pretty veteran core trying to establish himself early in there. Um, Days and Bronco. Any any immediate Emmanuel Sanders memories jump out to you? Yeah, I mean I think we all are going to end up remembering him for his time in Denver. And as, you know, New England Patriots enthusiasts, we should get that out of the way. Both of us are Patriots fans. Sorry in advance. 2014-2015, um, Emmanuel Sanders was, you know, up there in terms of just, you know, smaller receivers who could get downfield, really shake some guys in coverage. And, you know, he won a Super Bowl and he tormented the Pats along the way. And I'm sure a lot of people who aren't Broncos fans still remember him fondly for that. So uh, great career. Just uh, a guy, you know, he had what? I think it was you know, a Super Bowl ring where he led the game in receptions and yards and was the best receiver on that team consistently all year. You know, that's that's a guy that everyone in that fan base is going to remember forever because he had a year where he, you know, you don't say he won them the Super Bowl, but without him, they probably don't win a Super Bowl. And those are the guys that get remembered fondly by a fan base. Yeah, exactly. It, it that two year run. I mean, I, I feel like I remember him pretty distinctly as a Steeler, but that two year run in Denver, 14 and 15, especially 14 first year coming off free agency signed to Denver comes out of the gate career-high 101 receptions, career-high non-receiving touchdowns, finished the best of his career in DYAR 
and DVOA. Finished third among receivers with a 481 receiving DYAR. Fourth among receivers in DVOA with 29.6. I, I mean, in terms of just the small-bodied, scrappy slot receivers, Sanders is one of the best. It, 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 he just had – it's you know, I think that's what also just – like that high was just what led him to those extra deals with, you know, the Saints and Buffalo. You know, I, if – if Buffalo was able to squeeze just a little bit of that, of that high, a little bit of that juice, five, six years removed, you know, maybe, maybe they'd be in better shape. Maybe 13 seconds would be a thing. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, when you think about his time in Denver, it's pretty, you know, inextricably tied to Demarius Thomas, who we obviously miss as a football community, but you know, it's kind of special when you can think of two guys as a wide receiver tandem that led your team to the Super Bowl. Uh, and, you know, those two guys complemented each other so well. It's what you love to see as a football fan when your team has, you know, two receivers with different skill sets that can really play off each other. But the other thing about Sanders, you know, he was a scrappy slot guy. He could really get downfield. There aren't a lot of slot guys who can do that. So he was kind of a special talent and something that we don't really have a lot of in this league right now. You know, we have great slot guys. We have guys that can burn you deep. Sanders is a pretty good hybrid of those two skill sets. Yeah. I think, honestly, he gave a he gave a quote. It, it, it's, it's really been interesting. I, I suppose it's because he won the Super Bowl there. But it's been really interesting just to see how much Denver's embraced him. Uh, his, you know. The first images in his, or the the most prominent images in his Instagram uh, highlight send off, uh, the retirement announcement, uh, are very Bronco centric. A lot of the you know initial releases on his retirement came from the Broncos, uh, but this quote he gave to DenverBroncos.com really, like you know, really shows like the you know it's a it's a warm and fuzzy retirement just based off the quote alone. Uh, you know, for me, I feel like it's the right time for me. 12 years, I'm walking away from the game healthy. I've had a great career, played in a lot of games, three Super Bowls, Pro Bowls. I've played for some great organizations. And so I just feel like it's my time. 12 years is good for me. Now I can go run routes with my son and play basketball with my son, hang out with my kids and enjoy my life. You know, it's a nice, nice little send off there. You know, yeah. you're not quite walking out on your own terms, but you can walk out, you know. As you can now, it's now it's family time. You've you've set up generational wealth for yourself. You've taken on a Super Bowl ring in the process, and now you get I can hang with your kids. It's great. Yeah, and not everyone's going to be a Hall of Famer, but I think when you if you go into the league, you know, with the sole goal of becoming a Hall of Famer, like yeah, that might be a good mentality to have. But most guys are going to be disappointed if that's the mentality they go in with. If you go in with the the mentality of I want to play a decade, I want to win a ring, and you know I want to be you know cherished by a fan base or maybe two fan bases then i think he accomplished pretty much everything you realistically could expect uh you know as a young player coming into that league so great job emmanuel sanders awesome career uh and hope you enjoy retirement seems like you're setting yourself up for some fun there absolutely now we're staying on the west coast or flipping conferences dipping a little bit back in the well to last week we just want to make sure we're touching on it uh the Jimmy Garoppolo contract. Now, Garoppolo in San Francisco agreed to a one-year restructure of his current deal. Uh, if it had gone past the roster cut down to 53, the 
San Francisco 49ers would have owed Garoppolo, I believe, uh, 26 mil in guaranteed money. The new one-year restructure uh, gives him a $6.5 million base salary, uh, about $500,000 in per-game roster bonuses. Uh, performance incentives allow him to earn up to $16 million total on the deal. And on top of it, just to you know, throw Garoppolo a bone, Garoppolo gets both a no-tag and a no-trade clause in the deal. Now, Garoppolo noted that, you know, didn't want to ruffle any feathers uh, by asking for a release. Uh, according to him, he had said that, uh, I don't know, things just kept falling into place. I'm one of those people that I don't really want to ruffle the feathers too much here and there. I kind of just want to go with the flow. And that's kind of where training camp was going. I'm happy with it. Like I said, things worked out. I'm happy now. To find role as a backup, you know, everyone – yeah, Trey Lance has refuted reports that had allegedly come out that he was a little bit frustrated with the process of bringing Garoppolo back. Shanahan apparently didn't even realize that bringing Garoppolo back as a backup was even an option for him, according to John Lynch. Where do you think he stands right now in the 49ers locker room? Is this just a best-case scenario for everyone? Does it raise a couple red flags about Trey Lance? Where do you sort of stand on Jackson? I don't think it's a problem as long as Trey Lance is clearly defined as the starter. I think that the quarterback market worked out very strangely this year. I think it was all thrown off a little bit by sort of the subpar QB draft class and teams that would have typically been in the market for not only rookie quarterbacks, but also, you know, potentially veteran retreads like a Garoppolo or a little bit scared of doing such things and more so opted for one year stopgap options in the vein of James Winston, Marcus Mariota, et cetera. Uh, and I think that for San Francisco, you know, as long as you clearly define Lance is our starter, we're riding with Lance moving forward. He's had his year to mature on the bench. Then I don't see the problem with, you know, keeping Jimmy Garoppolo in the fold. He's been, he almost beat <laughs> a two Super Bowls in three years, you know, one bad quarter away from it. Um, and I, I think you could do a lot worse uh, for an NFL, you know, kind of mentor slash backup than a Jimmy Garoppolo who is creeping up on 30 now, if I'm not mistaken, 31, 32. So, you know, he's been around a while. We always, th- we, we always think of him as a young guy, the successor to Tom Brady, but you know, he's, he's seen a lot of the league and, you know, at, on a personal note, I hope he gets another shot somewhere, maybe not a team that's expecting to contend like San Francisco is, but you know, I, he's a top 32 quarterback in the league, and he deserves another chance at some point to take over a starting role. Yeah, I mean, first off, this is his age 31 season. So you're good. It's on the right, you know, not quite, you know, I'm not ready to call it on the wrong side, but, you know, he is getting up there in age. And also last year, you know, given what he's, you know, kind of gotten from, you know, media and outside voices and just general assessment of the quarterback position. Jimmy Garoppolo finished 2021 10th in DYAR with 854, 5th in DVOA, 17.9%, and helped the Niners get to the NFC Championship in some capacity. It's, you know, it's still, you know, the introduction of the wide back. Things are getting a little bit easier. Like, <clears throat> you got to recognize the role he's in, but – I don't see how this is too bad a thing except for the confidence vote in Trey Lance. 
it took a while for San Francisco to kind of really get a unified voice around Trey Lance is our guy. Trey Lance is really good. It's not a lot of the, you know, rumblings of, you know, beat reporters talking about Pat Mahomes while Alex Smith is still the quarterback saying like, this is the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. This is a guy in hiding. There's been highs and lows. We've seen stuff preseason. We've seen, you know, small bouts in the actual NFL. I get a little worried that, you know, just having him on the roster. Granted, the situation works out great both sides. It gives Jimmy Garoppolo more autonomy in where he ends up going down the road. He's got a little bit more say in how he handles his, you know, exit from San Francisco. The 49ers are now in a position to get compensation for him on a reasonable deal. It's a way more desirable deal for other teams to take on versus the 26 mil fully guaranteed contract that he originally had. But I just get worried about, you know, if things don't work out well with Lance, like, will there be rumblings? Will there be, you know, additional stuff that'll, you know, throw a little wrench into things? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, they were right about Pat Mahomes, right? And it's pretty unlikely, yeah. even, you know, the best case scenario for Trey Lance. It's hard to be Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes pretty generational talent at the quarterback position. So I don't necessarily think, you know, Matt Mayoko not tweeting out how incredible Trey Lance is going to be doesn't mean he's going to be a good starter in this league. I think that his athleticism opens up a lot in this potential 49ers offense, an offense that already was, you know, a 10 point blown fourth quarter lead away from going to a Super Bowl last year. But I get what you're saying. And I, I definitely think that having the guy who was kind of in front of you for the job still in the building can be a little bit strange, but you know, this is, you know, you're getting paid millions of dollars to play quarterback in the NFL. You know, not everything's going to be a perfect scenario all the time. You are the starter, go out there and win some games. You know, the 49ers have a great football team built around him when he's out there on the field, Jimmy G's not going to be looking over his shoulder. You know, go play. Yeah, I think I think the leadership there is key too. It, it's, you know, if the 49ers are going to have success, they're going to have to like lean on Trey Lance. I just get worried that, you know, keeping the specter of the past in the room, even if it works out best for the two parties involved, Garoppolo and the team, you know, look at the rest of that 2021 class, you know, it, it's it's something as big as, you know, the Patriots cutting Cam Newton to sure that Mac Jones is the bona fide leader of this team once he was named starter. It's something as small as, you know, whether it's the Jets trading Sam Darnold in advance of the 2021 drafts picking up Wilson or the Jaguars getting rid of Gardner Minshew, even though Urban Meyer decided to run Lawrence on second team once he had the job got rid of Minshew as the backup. It's setting up like a bona fide structure of leadership and, you know, fully passing the torch to that young guy. I, I just it. worry, I just worry that, you guys, know, how the other guy in the building is tough. Yeah, none of those guys had earned in their building. I, I recognize what Cam Newton did in Carolina, but in the situations they were in, none of those guys that you just mentioned who got moved or released, traded away, had earned the kind of respect that I think Garoppolo's earned within the San Francisco organization. I mean, so Newton was a captain in the Patriots stuff. locker room. So like it was a, like there was a leadership thing there, but I digress. Yeah. But he was there for one year and they went seven and nine. 
um, and, you know, injury concerns, et cetera. Whereas Jimmy Garoppolo took you to a Super Bowl. I don't think you just unceremoniously dump him on the street unless that's what he asks. And he said he considered it and that's not what he wanted. I thought that was just, you know, really well said by him in all ways. You know, the quote that you read a few minutes ago, that was, you know, that's veteran leadership. That's a guy who understands he's not, you know, he's not the big man in the room anymore. He's, you know, wants to be, wants to be treated right. And he feels the team's doing that. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's veteran savvy. We'll see if he gets another job. I, I think he definitely deserves another shot. Yeah, but... It worked out so odd this year. You know, it got to the end of the offseason, and it was either Carolina or Seattle or the two potential options. You figured San Francisco would never trade him in division. So once Baker Mayfield gets announced to Carolina, that's pretty much it. All of a sudden, Jimmy G's on the outs without a job. But there's there are starters in this league who I think are pretty clearly beneath his talent level when he's at full strength including the Steelers who we just talked about. Um, and, you know, they just went a different direction when younger wanted to rebuild their quarterback room, but Jimmy G deserves another shot somewhere. Exactly. All right. Now we're going into a bit of an injury roundup, a little rapid fire, trying to just touch on the biggest injury stories of the last week. First up, Robert Sala officially announces Zach Wilson out Sunday and according to him, sounds like he's out for at least the next three weeks. Wilson underwent successful knee surgery on August 16th. It was a partial meniscus tear with a bit of a bone bruise on a non-contact injury. Salah said there's no reason to rush him back. Quote, we are going to make sure both mind and body are 110% and make sure we do right by him. And we feel like talking to the doctors and everyone, it's going to be that Pittsburgh week. That Pittsburgh week is coming up around week four which means Joe Flacco, at least for now, Joe Flacco's confirmed starter for week one against his former Baltimore Ravens. Then he's going to, uh, to Cleveland to play the Browns, and then the Jets host Cincinnati week three uh, before the Jets go on the road and Zach Wilson potentially makes a start week four for the Steelers. Jackson, how confident are you in Joe Flacco getting the job done holding down the fort against – I also didn't realize they're just playing the whole AFC North up front. Yeah. Um, not very kill, <laughs> not very confident in, in Mr. Flacco. I will say uh, the social media clip this week of Joe Flacco recounting his children, telling him he sucks at football was uh, one of the funnier things I've seen in recent memory, man. It's, it's a interesting league, right? We talk about guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, not finding a starting job anywhere. And by week two of the season, we get us the Joe Flacco, Jacoby Brissett matchup. It, it, it was a weird off season. It was a really unprecedented in many ways off season. And we haven't even talked about the Deshaun Watson situation and what that did to the quarterback market. Uh, but clearly things worked out in a, a stranger way than we're used to. That being said, you know, Jacoby Brissett's beatable. Uh, I don't I don't think you're beating Lamar Jackson up front. So that feels like 0-1 to start the season right there. But I don't think you were beating him with Wilson anyway. Um, we have a YouTube comment saying Joe Flacco is probably a slight upgrade over Wilson. I don't think so, guys. I think Joe Flacco, it's been a long time since he was an effective starter in the league. He was one of the worst in Denver, and that was three, four years ago. So I don't I don't have a whole lot of confidence. Uh, but he, you know, he brings up a good point. On the other hand, Zach Wilson was pretty much the worst quarterback in the league last year. If you go by guys who had a minimum 200 attempts, he was 34th in DVOA, 34th in DYAR. 
out of 34. So Jackson, I'm going to need you to pull cool. your brakes on cool Joe here. I'm not cooling them. I don't like <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I get it. I completely understand. There's a lot. He's 37. He's also the, it's, it, he was the, I, I believe he's now the second quarterback ever, uh, according to Jameson Henley over at ESPN, uh, the second quarterback in league history to play a season opener against the team he won a Super Bowl with. Just a little nugget there. But had some time at Jets camp this uh, past summer. Uh, got to look at, you know, got to just check out the general scope of stuff with USA Today. And he doesn't look that bad for 37. Like, it's it's not quite, you know, it's not quite prime with the Ravens. But I think he can manage. I, I think the creativity of the LaFleur offense with the weapons that he has, it's enough to at least hold down the fort. I think they've at least got a shot to pick up one win. Mm-hmm. The only I, thing I'll say maybe, is we talked about maybe be that uh, that uh, Browns team. They, they maybe can beat that Browns team. I agree with that, but uh, it, it's just funny to me. I mean, we talked about how bad Zach Wilson was last year. Joe Flacco was that bad in 2019. If you go back and look at the 2019 numbers, you know his his DVOA was negative 18 percent. His his DYAR was 29th in the league, and that was three years ago. So he's had a lot of time to sort of I, not not to say it in this mean way, but he's kind of been rotting on the bench, right? So he's, I'm a little bit concerned about it, bringing 37 year old back out there and seeing what he's still got left. If you call it atonement, it's it, going off. Joey sucks. Wilson was at least you know it, it's down there as one of the worst rookie seasons. I think it's bottom 20. Uh, since the DVOA metrics have started, it's a it's a rough rough season uh, for uh, Wilson's rookie season. Uh, do I still think he can bounce back? Yeah, I think the upside's there. But you know, I'm not even going to call it high ceiling uh, or high floor. Like he, I, I think it's serviceable. We're spending too much time talking, Michael Jackson. <laughs> he can't get sucked. Really, the only other thing I'll say is it was a historically bad situation that. Uh, Wilson was put in last year just in terms of how bad the O-line was. They allowed the fourth most sacks last year. How bad his luck was with having Elijah Moore get hurt in the middle of the season. Played his last two games. Yeah, it was was tough. Um, And they really tried to do a lot this offseason to build an offense that would be more suitable to, you know, support him. And I was excited to see how he would do right from the start, having a full off season to build with them. And that's why I think this was just a very poorly timed, unfortunate injury. And that's kind of what happens in this league. Sometimes hope for the kid's sake that he can bounce back week four. Kale, Kale's been so in tune with the Jets beat that I want the Jets to, you know, be confident this year, just so we can both, it's weird for Patriots fans to think that about the Jets, but we're both pretty tapped in on them because of how much work you've done with them. So I'm kind of rooting for him. Rooting's a stretch. I just want to see success. But I will say, speaking of ill-timed injuries, <laughs> J.C. Jackson, not expected to play week one versus the Raiders. Uh, Jackson underwent surgery on August 23rd uh, for an uh, – it's, it's to treat discomfort – uh, with something Jackson was born with. Uh, there's not a ton of detail, but Staley definitely just stressed it was a comfort issue uh, for when Jackson would decelerate. Uh, it's basically just about peace of mind. Uh, it's cleaning something up and getting it done 
Uh, you know, he's tried rehab, he's tried injections, but just getting it a little non-invasive cleanup with some recovery time seemed like the best solution long-term. That being said, does not spell success out for week one. Uh, last year, they're, they're playing the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, who, by the way, picked up Devontae Adams uh, over the offseason, uh, arguably the wide receiver one. Uh, the Chargers weren't great against wide receiver ones last year. Chargers pass defense ranked 31st against wide receiver ones, uh, putting up a uh, positive 22.9% DVOA against them in 2021. Uh, Jackson uh, not only led the league in pass breakups, finished second in interceptions in 2021, he was the cornerback one that helped the New England Patriots secondary to a negative 33.3% pass defense DVOA against top wide receivers. So if there's a guy you wouldn't want to miss week one to cover Devonta Adams, it's JC Jackson. Jackson, there's a lot of Jacksons in here. How do you think this fares going forward? Uh, do you have, you know, it's a competitive AFC West. Do you think this puts them up to a rough start? If I'm the Chargers, I don't want to lose that game. I'll say that. But it is week one of a 17-week season. We've seen some week one matchups that worked out a certain way and then went on to dictate absolutely nothing about the season and how it would go. But it's a big loss, and I – I'm more worried I, as long as he's okay long-term that's if it's just missing week one and he's right back out there, then I'm not concerned, but something makes me a little bit uneasy about it, that it's not just, Oh, he twisted his ankle in practice. It's, it's a one-time thing. If it's, if this lingers, if this is ever something that comes back, they gave him five years and you know, it's the cap cap in the NFL is one of the most confusing things. Cause you can always just push cap down the road if you're the new Orleans saints. But at some point you feel like it comes back to haunt you. I'm not trying to say JC Jackson's going to be a dead cap hit. He's one of the best corners in the league when he's right, but something is just making me feel a little bit uneasy about, you know, and, and you know, we just saw a YouTube comment about it. No way a chargers DB injury will linger throughout the season. This team is cursed tail. Everything looks okay. like it's going right for them. And it's not. So I just, I, it, it worries me from a symbolic standpoint more than it actually worries me from, you know, what I think it's going to be week one against the Raiders. The perennial media, darling, Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, what if, what have they done? <laughs> like, what have they done to deserve uh, just their horrible, horrible stretch of luck? Uh I don't know. We'll see how it fares. Uh, but as of now, that is a, uh, that's a tough loss to suffer, especially considering how the Chargers went out last year, just missing the playoffs to that Raiders team. Uh, you know, it would have been a fun matchup to see, but now we'll have to, uh, we'll have to wait a few weeks to see it in Las Vegas. Doug Peterson matchup though. That's, oh, that's, that's still a, a game we have circled on our calendar for week one. That's going to be a barn burner. Absolutely. Doug Peterson has announced for the Jaguars that James Robinson is going to play Sunday. It's going to be a little abbreviated. Uh, he's, you know, he's not expected to get a full workload in week one, especially with Travis Etienne back in the fold. But this is it, – it's an Achilles injury from week 16. That's a nine-month turnaround, eight-month turnaround on an Achilles injury. Impressive stuff there first off. Just had to say that. Uh Jaguars offensive coordinator Press Taylor said last week, 
we have to see and get a feel for that as we get into the live bullets, if you will, of where he, Travis Etienne, is at from there. I get you don't know anything until you really see it. So we'll kind of go there as we get there. James Robinson's a proven commodity in this league, so we're excited about those two guys and everyone in the room as well. So this clearly isn't just Etienne's job for the taking. It seems like it'll be a bit of a two-back system. What's your optimism on the – not only, you know, the Jaguars offense and the upgrades there in general, but an eight-month turnaround from an Achilles tear. Well, I mean, I don't think I could do that. I, I feel like I have an eight-month turnaround every time I do leg day, so props to James Robinson on that one. But uh, just looking at the full scope of things, you know, it's great to have two really good running backs in that room, and I think James Robinson has proven that he is a really good running back. You know, we ran through some of the numbers. People were discouraged by his step back in volume last year. His efficiency numbers actually went up last year. You know, his 2020 rookie year when he broke the 1,000-yard mark, he was 22nd in DYAR, 26th in DVOA. Last year, he was actually 7th in DYAR, 6th in DVOA. So when he's out there, when he's right, he's a really good back, and I think Travis Etienne has the potential to be a really good back as well. Urban Meyer sure seemed to think so. That's why he drafted him in the first round. But again, you know, Having one great running back can only impact an offense so much. Having two of them, I don't think, is that much more of a marginal improvement. So for, for me, the Jaguars are going to come down to how much better Trevor Lawrence can be in year two, how good those upgrades can gel at wide receiver, how much Christian Kirk can actually step up into the role of a wide receiver one, and whether or not the offensive line can even give Lawrence time to throw to those guys. So great to have two good talents at the running back position, but it's sort of one of those things where I think it's it's sort of a smaller plot on that offense as opposed to, you know, the whole being still a big question mark. Yeah, I mean, we'll certainly see. It's 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 almost hard to, re- like, rationalize that, you know, after the breakout season he had his rookie year as a UDFA on top of Meyer really not fully committing to him, uh, doing a lot of uh, – Carlos Dunlap, uh, the running back that they had, uh, Carlos Hyde. Uh, mixing a lot of Carlos Hyde in there. It's Who shocking. Ohio State, stunning. I, I guess know. I guess it's the Ohio State runoff, but it's uh, it was very surprising to see as much, uh, like, just that Robinson was a top 10 back last year uh, in retrospect. This could be a, you know, decently threatening run game if the offensive line pans out. And once again, speaking of offensive line, perfect transitions here on the FO News Show. You kill it, man. Trevor Penning, out until at least November, uh, went down getting foot surgery, uh, not expected to completely miss his rookie season. Uh, Optimistic right now, according to Ian Rappaport, gives Penning a chance to return to football by early November, at least for practice. Now, Saints are considered a decent wildcard spot. However, with the amount of turnover at the offensive line, you know, Jerron Armstead goes out. Trevor Penning was expected to be the guy to step up there. With him out, what's your sort of assessment of how the Saints go from here? Does this feel like as big a loss to you as I kind of feel it is? No, absolutely. This is one of the, I, I think that, you know, an offensive lineman going down maybe doesn't get as much play 
on Twitter, wherever you get your football news as, you know, quarterback injury. But this feels like a huge one to me because the Saints, A, have a chance to be a playoff team, but also missed them last year. B, have one of the weirdest offenses in the league. One of the offenses that I feel like we know the least about. Uh, Just running through some of the things last year about their offense that stunned me. They were the number one team in past DVOA in the red zone last year. Where does that come from? You know, Jameis Winston only played half the year. You brought in, you know, some mishmash of, you know, two very, very low-level backup quarterbacks, a Taysom Hill who I don't even think is a quarterback, and then you just, you know, throw Trevor Simeon out there for for whatever reason. And somehow that's the number one pass DVOA red zone team with all the Mahomeses and Allens and Bradys of the league. But at the same time, this is the team that has one of the heftiest run percentages on second and long, and they were terrible at it. They were 29th in the league at second and long. Uh, So I really don't know what to make of this offense, and I wanted to see a full season of their rookie tackle because this is a team that has so much money on the books in the future that this was a guy you were thinking you could count on at a relatively low cost, and he's not going to be there for a while. That's what makes me nervous is I want to see this Saints offense whole and I want to see them gel together as the season goes on because they have so many new pieces, and one of those pieces is just not there. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I mean, think of the turnover right now of this offensive line. You lose Toronto Armstead. You expect Trevor Penning to step up. Now Trevor Penning's on IR, along with Forrest Lamp and Ethan Greenidge. So it's three long-term injuries at the offensive line spot. Uh, James Hurst is expected to fill in at left tackle. But now you're placing like you're placing a lot of faith in a Caesar Ruiz. There's parts of this line that are pretty, you know. It's I, I got questions here. And especially, you know, you have Kamara coming off a bad season last year. Uh, one of his worst at the running back position. He's not great in a big, you know, as a big workhorse back. He, he's he's best used, you know, efficiently with a passing, like with a receiving mix. I just worry that a lot of this, you know, a lot of this could spell disaster early for New Orleans and a lot of the, you know, optimism that we've kind of had riding on New Orleans uh, could get sullied pretty quick by some, you know, pretty major offensive line turnover. It's a weird team, Kel. It's one of the, it's one of the biggest question marks. Reports come out today that Chris Olave is wide receiver five on the depth chart in New Orleans. I don't know what to make of them. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, I know. I know rookie receivers have to earn their keep, but wide receiver five is troubling. Okay. All right, last on the injury docket. Just before we get into Thursday night news previews, I got to touch quickly on the Harold Landry ACL tear. Uh, happened last week. Tore his ACL in practice on Wednesday, September first. Major, major piece of that Tennessee Titans defense last year. Twelve total sacks for the Titans last year, part of a big five-year contract with the Titans. In the most recent FO projections uh, for the season, Titans are now clocking in at 21st in defensive DVOA. Jackson, how big of a loss is Landry to this Titans defense? And a team with a lot of shakeup over the offseason. So I think both these things can be true. I think Harold Landry can be a huge loss, but I also think that this can still be a good defense. And I also think that losing someone at this point, granted it is close to the start of the season, but I would rather lose someone 
close to the start of the season in the preseason than I would week one or two. It's like before you hit the field, before you start playing games that count, you want to know what you have. And, you know, Landry was really, really good last year. You know, one one thing that I found when I was researching him that I was stunned by was there were only three players in the league last year that had 75-plus tackles and 10-plus sacks. It was Aaron Donald, Micah Parsons, Harold Landry. That's pretty good company to be keeping. He was really, really good. But this Titans defense still returns to all pros in Bayard and Jeffrey Simmons. They're bringing back, you know, a full season of healthy Bud Dupree. And they have, you know, Rashad Weaver, fourth round pick in 2021, getting a huge opportunity now to step in and fill the role that's being vacated now by Harold Landry, who, you know, was hurt in week three last year and didn't get to play much. So the pieces are still there. It's a big loss, but I'm also glad it happened now. Yeah, you're really calling on Bud Dupree to step up. Danico Autry probably slides in right to the uh, spot that Landry vacates. But honestly, I think the biggest thing that the Titans lose is just that front versatility that they get in their front seven by having a Landry there. Landry lines up all the way wide outside in edge position. Landry can line up inside. Landry can right, line up you know, standing up from off ball. The amount of different fronts that Landry allows this Titans defense to create, uh, it, it's just an extra level of flexibility that you're not going to get out of a lot of players. I, 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 it feels, you know, it's not a total derailment, but feels pretty tough for a Titans team that kind of needs all the help they can get at this point. I hear you. I also think if there's anyone I kind of trust to write the ship here, it's a Mike Vrabel and, you know, say what you want about the Titans last year and how they were statistically probably the weakest one seed we've ever had. You know, they've kind of proven themselves to be an adaptable regular season team who can adjust and still find a way to win games. The Titans rostered 91 players last year. That's, you know, a team record. That's insane. Uh, And, you know, they found a way to win 12 games. They they might have, you know, kind of black magic their way to those 12 wins, but who's to say they can't do something like it again? And, you know, Kale's, Kale's least favorite guy, Derrick Henry, is starting off the season healthy and ready to do some damage. Ah, yeah. If anyone's going to deal with, uh, you know, with injuries, it's Tennessee. Now let's get into the little news roundup we've got for tomorrow night's matchup biggest breaking stories or biggest trending stories out of Buffalo's and Rams, uh, Buffalo and LA camps headed into the Thursday night matchup. Uh, the season opener bills and Rams first let's off for the go. bills. Let's um, go. Oh, it feels good to say we have football back 24 hours, baby. Let's go. Uh, first up bills agree to a four year, $53 million extension with tight end Dawson Knox uh, Knox comes in just under top five in terms of both guaranteed money and average money per year on a deal among tight ends. Uh, He's coming off uh, the best season of his career uh, in terms of both uh, cracking top 10, both DVOA and DYAR for the first time in his career. What kind of asset you think that brings to Buffalo? I think it's good. I think I think they have all the weapons they could need. I'm less concerned about what a Dawson Knox brings to this offense than I am about the potential explosion of a Gabe Davis, who we're both really high on as wide receiver two, a big step up in this offense for him. 
and a big step up for McKenzie slotting in behind him at wide receiver three. But I think it's good to have stability in your tight end room. I think the one thing we would say about Dawson Knox, if there's anything we're concerned about, is his catch rate not super high, uh, 28th in the league last year. But, you know, these are these are pretty slim margins. One drop can make kind of a big difference in those statistics. So I think he's a good bordering on but not quite great tight end. And I think that he's elevated by Josh Allen, as most who play for him are. And I think it's good to have consistency when you're trying to win a championship, having those same guys come in year in and year out. So I, I think they, in a way, sort of did what had to be done to keep him around, and he's a guy worth keeping around. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the over-the-cap numbers that are ahead of where Dawson sort of proverbially slides in because they don't have it officially updated, uh, he's right on that cusp, you know, it's similar money to what Dallas Goddard got with the Eagles. He lines up more similar to like a David Njoku. In terms of total guaranteed money, he falls just in between Johnny Smith and David Njoku. So kind of feels ballpark. It's that second tier of tight ends right below, you know, the Kelsey Kittle, Andrew. Even Kittle's guaranteed money or uh, Kelsey's guaranteed money isn't a lot. Uh, but his, you know, very strong uh, total value is uh, what's carrying that Kelsey deal. But, you know, hats off to him. A little bit more injury roundup uh, for the Bills. Uh, Trey White officially put on the injured reserve slash pup list. Tore his ACL on Thanksgiving last year. Still not quite recovered. Hasn't practiced all summer. But the timetable is optimistic. Who we do have for week one is Jordan Poyer set to play in week one. I've been dealing with a bit of an elbow injury. Was wearing the red non-contact injury during training camp or uh, the red non-contact jersey during training camp. But according to depth chart reports, seems like Poirier's going to be there week one. How do you think Buffalo's going to just, you know, having Poirier's a big help. How do you think Buffalo's going to deal with the absence of Trey White to start the season, especially against L.A.? Yeah, Trey White's really good, Kel. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to be no, missing sir. a guy. It's hard to be missing a guy who's probably top – two or three at his position in the entire league. He's an outstanding cornerback. But at the same time, I feel like it almost goes undersold how insane it is that both of the Bills' safeties are all pro, that you know, it's not the most important position on the field, but it cannot hurt to have two guys at the same you know, relative position who are among the best five, six guys in the league. Uh, and I think it's big for them to have him back week one because this is obviously a challenging matchup against a Rams team that – the offense has a lot of question marks, which we're about to get into. So I think it's, you know, there's no way Trey White was going to be ready after an ACL tear in November. It's better to be, you know, cautious and, you know, trust the rest of your incredible loaded team to get you, you know, a couple wins early in the season, make sure he comes back healthy because ultimately what this Bills team is building towards is the playoffs. And, you know, you'd love to have the one seed and win every game you can, but, you also want to get their whole and you don't want to rush guys back too early before they're a hundred percent. I mean, if there's any team that knows the importance of the one seed, it's, it's Buffalo from last year. That being said, big, uh, you know, big shoes to fill for the remaining two cornerbacks, uh, rookie Kyer Elam and Dane Jackson reportedly going to get the uh, starting slots there at the two cornerback positions. That'll remain to be seen how they fare, but They'll have their hands full, kicking it over to L.A. First story up, McVay says there won't be any limitation for Stafford in games 
and said there's no hesitation on Stafford throwing 50 to 55 times in the opener. This comes after a lot of speculation about some lingering pain that Stafford's felt in his elbow. Uh, as early as last season, it's kind of trickled in all summer. I don't know about you, Jackson. I'm personally, you know, it's kind of those things. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you didn't have to say it, you didn't say it. I, I'm I'm worried about what I've heard about Stafford's elbow, just or what I've read about Stafford's elbow. All this very nebulous kind of like said in hushed tones kind of talk about Stafford's elbow scared me a little bit. You know, I it's you're right, and it's hard to overstate what a difference that a healthy Matt Stafford actually makes on this team. Um, you know that that trade was. Yeah, was criticized in a sense, but also it was necessary and it was proven to be necessary by the fact that he jumped them from 19th to 7th and passed DVOA and, oh, by the way, won them a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I'm worried. But I also feel like if if they're saying there's no limitations, then I guess I'm just going to trust it until I see the limitations for myself because hush whispers are one thing. If Matt Stafford goes out there and, you know, throws 35 for 50 with three touchdowns and beats the, you know, preseason Super Bowl champion Buffalo Bills, then I'm not going to have too much to say about it. So I, I share your concern, but I also feel like, you know, you don't want to hear that he's not going to be able to throw 50 to 55 times. So in that sense, I'm glad he's saying it. Yeah, it's. I don't think he's that right line to us. It's just the fact that it keeps coming up scares me a bit. Going back to the guys he's throwing to, Van Jefferson is the only player to appear on the Rams injury report headed into this week. Uh, it's good that they only have one injury, but there's some concern about whether or not Jefferson will be able to play in the open. Jefferson underwent minor surgery on August 2nd following an earlier surgery on the same knee this past offseason. And according to the Rams, uh, he may not play in the opener, and it would be replaced, quote-unquote, by committee. Jax, uh, we know that Rams obviously have Cooper Cup coming off one of the most historic DYR seasons in Football Outsiders history, also joined by Allen Robinson. How do you think they sort of fill the gap here? Well, is it for one game or is it for longer? You know, I think that Van Jefferson is a guy that you can very easily replace the production of for a short amount of time but he's also you know I don't want to say essential but he's he's an important piece of that wide receiver room who you know ultimately you're going to either need to have or you're going to need to replace uh Van Jefferson just to kind of give people context of you know the kind of guy he is he's a home run threat he is prone to a lot of drops he was 79th in catch rate last year not very good and you know he's a wide receiver you know three maybe bordering on two who can do some nice things, you know, can stretch the field, can, you know, he's 47th in, in YAR. That's his best metric. So, you know, he's, he's getting you some yards. He's a, he's an important producer who you're going to have to replace if he's not there, but you bring in now Robinson, you know, you have, you know, tight end options for one game. I don't think you have a problem making up his production. Yeah. I, I think the biggest element you're missing is just Jefferson's ability to stretch the field. Uh, he really took over that. Uh, I don't think I'm missing it, but yeah. He, I, I mean, in terms of what you're, you know, what you're missing by not having Jefferson in the fold, can that be, you know, in short term replaced by, you know, some additional t- uh, touches to Tyler Higby, some, you know, additional integration of like a two-two Atwell? Sure. 
But, you know, you're going to miss Van Jefferson long-term. Speaking of Van Jefferson replacements, Rams might have one in their future because there has been reports that the Rams are currently just keeping a locker for Odell Beckham Jr. amid his free agency. Now, Odell jokingly tweeted that the – according, you know, with some uh, interactions from our own uh, Vince Verhey, Football Outsiders, uh, basically the winner of Thursday night's game decides where he's going. Uh, hey, shout to- out Vince, man. That's that's how you get, you know, the name out there. F-O, F-O and Odell just going back and forth on Twitter. Yeah, those are the interactions we need. Uh, you know, it's winner take all. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're bringing home the bride if you win the game. But uh, Rams are doing their best job to court him. Uh, keeping a locker and nameplate set up for Odell in the practice facility in the event Beckham decides to return. I I was just watching, I don't know, I was just watching uh, Super Bowl 53 was on the other day, or the most recent Super Bowl. Is it 53? I don't know. Time, time's weird. But the – you forget how big an impact he had in that game uh, before he, you know, slips on the turf, uh, goes down with a non-contact ACL tear, second – in two, three years, which, you know, we'll see if he comes back in the same form. But, man, that he had such an impact on this Rams team. If he does end up returning to L.A., uh, you know, stat, concerns about Stafford's elbow or not, I am extremely high on this Rams offense if they can get him back in the fold. Yeah, let's also not forget, you know, this is a guy that caught five touchdowns in six games towards the end of last year, you know, when – this is why it stinks that he got hurt was because he was sort of starting to find that form again. You know, he wasn't ever going to be the, the multiple, you know, double digit catch games sort of, you know, game breaker Odell, but he was a very productive wide receiver too. And somebody that you definitely want around. So I, you know, I hope he gets back and I hope the right team gets him, but can you imagine Kale being told that a football game, decides the outcome of whether you move to Los Angeles or Buffalo, like in what other arena of life would that make any sense? So you're a special man like Odell Beckham. You put yourself in a very special situation. That is that's high stakes gambling. If I've (laughs) ever heard it. Well, we'll know where Odell is moving. uh, The second this game kicks off. uh, Thank you very much for joining us on our uh, first ever edition of the FO news show. We'll see you back next week. Same time, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern, with a full slate of games to talk about, which, God, I I can't keep saying it enough because it just gets me excited. Unbelievable. Let's go. I mean, here we are. This is, you know, we're going to talk about the news in football every single week, and starting next week, we're going to have results to talk about in the game of football. Like, let's, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. We have a pretty awesome job, Gil. We're back, boys. Let's go. Awesome. For Jackson, I'm Kale. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day.